Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're talking to a collector about the art of folding paper, yes, origami. We're joined by David Pacheco, who is a creative director at Disney Studios. David has a significant collection of books and journals about origami. He also collects Disney and art books too. Origami is a delicate and precise practice of folding flat pieces of paper into sculptures. And the word itself comes from Japan. Welcome, David. Hello, Richard. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, my first question is a simple one. Uh, why origami? How, how did this all begin? Well, for me, it started when I was six years old and, and a family friend gave me a book in Japanese and I had no clue what this book was about, but I could see that because it was illustrated that, that there was a possibility of of uh, creating these shapes from, from a piece of paper, I presumed, and it had some examples of, of folded, uh, actual folded pieces. And I thought, wow, let me let me try to figure this out. And and of course, no one could could help me because we couldn't understand Japanese or read Japanese. But I was able to figure it out. And just the idea that you can take a simple square of paper and manipulate it and transform it into a a bird or an animal or a mask or some type of geometric form was absolute magic to me. And uh, I there weren't that many books on origami available at the time. But I just would, you know, whatever I would find something on origami, whether it was like making a paper plane or, or whatever, I would save it. And through the years, I started to collect these books, and, and now it's gotten into this kind of massive collection. So, so how many books and journals do you actually have now? Uh, right now, and I haven't gone up into the attic to go into the books that are in the storage, but right now it's well over 1,700. That's quite a substantial library. <laughs> it is. Yes, it is. Do you collect origami itself, actual folded uh, folded um, sculptures? Uh, you know, yes, I do. I, years ago, I used to correspond with several other origami artists, and they would we would uh, send each other our own original designs through the mail. And uh, I haven't folded creatively in years because I focused on my career here at Disney instead. But um, I do have a lot of the, I did save all of the samples that were given to me because they were given to me by these artists, and I do have those in, in uh, envelopes and in between, you know, sheets of uh, plastic for uh, for, sa- for saving them, but um, uh, otherwise I do, whenever I do create something or make something for, for friends or for just for my office here, I do save it and I do have it on display for a while, and afterwards I just kind of give it away if somebody likes it, then that's what I do. Pretty much, it's, it's uh, you know, given the, the particular author style they'll show you how they make their how they make their own designs and, and their own theories behind the um, the uh, uh, technologies that, that they're using uh, almost every single one of my books is instructional in one form or another uh, in various languages most of them are in Japanese but I do have some from uh, Italy and from Israel and from Korea and from the UK so I'm, I'm, I've got a collection from all all over the world um, and I do have some books that are pretty much just decorative art, just showing the art of origami, these masterworks that are created by some of the top origami artists in, in the world. So those are kind of showcase books, big coffee table books that I really, really enjoy. And I just come home and I just look through the pages and just 
think, wow, I wish I had the time to create something this complex, but <laughs> usually I'm really tired by the time I get home. So are, are, the, books, um, are the books hard to find? Um, some of them are and some of them are not. Usually the, the newer ones are, you know, very easy to find, uh, you know, on, on Amazon or also through various origami organizations that I'm in contact with around the world. They have their own libraries and books that are published uh, through them and by artists in that particular country. So if you know where to look, you can go ahead and, and uh, buy the books from whether it's the UK or from Japan through those various sources. Uh, a lot of the older books, I can find them on eBay or through uh, antique book collectors. So uh, you mentioned about the importance of uh, Japanese origami books. I presume they make up a large chunk of your collection then? Oh, I'd say more than half, yes. Definitely more than half. Uh, Are you uh, a Japanese speaker? No, actually there's a a language or uh, symbols that are used within origami that are worldwide. And uh, these were uh, created by uh, the master origami artist Akira Yoshizawa. So anybody who understands these symbols can take these directions in whatever language that they are and follow them. So that's, that's a good thing. It's a universal language of origami. So you don't really necessarily have to be able to speak Japanese. But if you do have a question, Google Translate is also very, very good in using for, for translating in Japanese or in any of the other language books I have. So you can literally read origami? Yes. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. <laughs> so in order to actually uh, complete a structure are you allowed to use any other tools apart from your hands can you use rulers or knives or anything like that you, well traditionally you use a single square of paper and it's colored on one side and white on the other so you can use the contrast between the two or a duo colored paper so you might have red on one side and yellow on the other if you're looking for a specific color palette um, you Try not to use scissors because that's not part of the tradition. So you can use it. There are some models that are, are more juvenile and, and from the 60s that, you know, if you fold a very, very simple rabbit, you can take a piece of the scissors and cut the ears out or just make one little snip and then you can fold that into the ears or a tail or you know, the elephant's trunk or whatever. But uh, traditionally, no, it's, it's no glue, no scissors. Uh, you can use a paper cutter to cut your paper into a square or just to make your paper smaller or whatever. But uh, um, traditionally, no, you just just using the paper itself. There are models that uh, require the shape of like a hexagon or a pentagram or whatever. Those are more geometric folds and more very, very, very intricate folds, which I have a lot of books on, but I've never really tried them because they're just a little too complex for me right now. Maybe when I retire, I'll have plenty of time to go ahead and, and, and try to figure these out. But uh, otherwise, no, it's just a simple square using your hands. This is this is an art form that you can do anywhere. You can you know, go to a restaurant when you're waiting for your order. You can take the, uh, the the napkin or the menu and fold it into something just because you're there and you have it. It's an art form that, that is very, very simple. And is there like a, a governing body that establishes the rules and the traditions of origami? Uh, those were established back in the 40s by, again, Akira Yoshizawa, who created this language of origami. There's there's uh, symbols for, uh, if it's a, it's a dash line, then you fold it one way, that's called a valley fold. And if it's a dash with a dot on it and continues across, that is called a mountain fold. And basically, there are only two ways to fold, away from you or towards you. And if you follow these, these symbols, again, anybody can go ahead and, and, and follow the instructions. All right. Um, so back to the books. Uh, what's your most prized 
origami book in your collection? Uh, I recently acquired three uh, volumes from, I would say, probably the early 1800s. They are ceremonial folds, and they're um, from the Edo period in Japan, and they're on parchment, and they open up very, very nicely, and they're, they're more samurai ceremonial folds, so that the, the samurai would, if you're giving a gift to a, a high-ranking samurai, you would fold this more of a geometric fold for them. It's called a noshi, N-O-S-H-I. And it's, uh, it, depending on what the ceremony is, that's a particular fold for maybe for a birthday or an anniversary or for a wedding. And I, I recently acquired these three books that are just amazing to me. And, and I, I try to figure out where I can put them in my house because I want to see them, but I want to be sure that I, I take very good care of them. Um, my other prize books that out of all the collections I think it's more of the books that I had when I was a child for the books from the uh, late 60s and 70s that uh, they just mean so much to me there's a simplicity to the folds as opposed to the current books which can be very 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 complex models of origami and it takes you hours and hours and hours to recreate one of these designs but there's just a simplicity to these books that I really really enjoy and, and those are the ones that make me happiest. So when you say ceremonial fold do you mean it was presented to somebody? Um, usually it was applied to a gift and instead of like putting a bow on, on a gift as we do now for a birthday or, or for an anniversary, uh, these little noshi were applied to the gift itself in paper, and it was usually red and white. And uh, that's that was more the ceremonial part. Uh, earlier origami was sometimes used for uh, uh, religious uh, and beliefs that you know if you were going to you know make an offering to one of the one of the gods, and you could maybe fold a fish out of paper if you didn't have a fish, and you that would be uh, substantial enough to give for for an offering, you know, or whether it was a little symbol of a bird or a butterfly. So uh, a lot of it was religious in nature. So when did people start writing down instructions for origami? Um, the first book that we know of was written probably around 1797. It was called the uh, Senbazudo Orekata, which is a book on uh, folding cranes and not just the simple traditional crane it was uh, cranes that were attached to each other so uh, you could have like two cranes that were attached by the beak or two cranes that were attached by the wing and then the, depending on how you cut the paper you would you know cut into um, one sheet of paper maybe four individual squares or six individual squares and sometimes up to maybe 20 or more squares and each one of these squares would be folded into the traditional crane that we all know is a symbol of origami and um you could have a multitude of cranes made out of one single piece of paper and that's that's what's contained in this this uh, ancient manuscript and we do have uh reproductions of this that are, are available is there one book that you've always been looking for but never yet found um Yes, there's there's one book from one of the early origami uh, masters. His name is Isao Honda, and there's a book. I think it's his second book that uh, was uh, written in the early 1940s, 1941, 1943, around there. And this book is kind of legendary. It's a small pamphlet almost, and uh, many of the copies, I understand, were destroyed during the war, and uh, there are just a few copies that exist, and, and I can't seem to get one, but I do have uh, an uh, antiquarian book dealer in Japan looking for this book for me, but that's that's kind of my holy grail of, of origami books. 
for me. So have you traveled to Japan to look for origami books? Actually, yes, several times I have gone to Japan, and whenever I would pass a bookstore, there I go inside and, <laughs> and come up with a whole bunch of more, more books from my collection. And would a typical uh, bookstore in Japan have an origami section? Oh, usually they do, because it, it's obviously part of their tradition and uh, something that the kids grow up with, but uh, a lot of the books are very simplistic, usually for uh, grammar school kids, uh, you know, first grade, second grade, where they're starting to learn about origami, and they do very, very simplistic models, and uh, I kind of bypass those books, and I want something that has more complex, definitely more more design to the, the actual models that you see in the books. Right. Now, you said uh, earlier to me that your collection was eclectic and you also uh, collect some Disney and some art books. Uh, mm-hmm. So you, you, I believe you've been with Disney for a long time now. Um, wh- uh, 40 years. 40 years, okay. What, what do you look for when you're collecting Disney? Um, usually a lot of my collection is uh, some of the vintage books, uh, whether they're storybooks or comic books, uh, not so much comic books, but more of the story books with the original illustrations of all those books that we grew up with, the little golden books that we all had is when we were kids, the big golden books. And working here at Disney, uh, the Disney publishing department is downstairs from my office, and they have their archives. So uh, these these books that I had as a child, I can actually go downstairs and see the actual illustrations, the real ones, and then and sometimes they're just absolutely magnificent to be able to hold these pieces in your hand but uh, I do pretty much buy uh, every single new Disney book whether it's you know the the history of Snow White or on the history of the Disney Studios or whatever uh, because it is part of my job in addition in being a creative director here one of the things that I do is, is help other lines of business within the Disney company on a worldwide basis with their art direction and with providing them the assets that they might need for their particular product design so I need to kind of know the ins and outs of, of all of our properties and, and so forth so I buy uh, any of the new books I buy two copies one for home for my personal library and one for, for my office so I can have a working library that I share with my coworkers. Uh, the art books that I have um, anything that usually appeals to me in terms of of um, aesthetics, something that I might like, whether it's book illustration or poster art, vintage poster art. But then again, I also use those books uh, here at the office if we're looking to create a specific stylization uh, for a new, maybe a new look for Mickey or a new book for Disney princesses. I can refer back to these books in my collection and say, well, why not? Let's try this. Let's try an art deco stylization or maybe an art nouveau stylization or something a little bit more, more graphic from the, from the 60s or you know, something along the lines of, you know, a Chinese uh, uh, travel poster. So, you know, they're, they're, they're very beneficial to what I do now. So I just keep adding to the collection. So it's, uh, it's like an unofficial reference library for, I don't know, 90 years of, of Disney <laughs> and correct. cinema and books. That's correct. Right. Uh, do you ever collect um, material such as uh, scripts or uh, illustrations relating to the actual movies? Um, not so much scripts. I do have uh, the collection of scrub scripts for the Disney films here in my office. But in terms of the original art, uh, yes, I do have a collection of uh, Disney animation cells that go back to the 30s. Um, I have cells from Snow White and, and uh, Fantasia and so forth. But uh, I also do collect, um, I did collect 
Disney, original Disney uh, publishing arts. So a lot of the uh, illustrations that, again, we had in the little golden books that, that we had as children, uh, if they, I see them coming up for auction, I have purchased a few of them at, throughout the decades. And then uh, about a year ago, I was looking through my collection. I thought, you know what? I don't, I have them all in storage and I don't put them up on the walls because there's very little Disney in my house. I don't want to come home to it. So um, I donated them back to the Disney Publishing Division so they can keep them there in the archives because that's where they really belong. So uh, there is a, a section in the, in the archives that is listed as the David Pacheco Archives, and uh, that's where all the, the material goes. I just figured it's it's better kept there, and it's, you know, under climate control and so forth, and people can come there and look at the art and appreciate it and, and you know, kind of use it as, as, as they need to for inspiration. That's a nice tribute to a collector to have a section in a library. It is. I was very pleased when I first saw it. When they they kind of brought me in there and, and said, "Okay, here, take a look at this," and there there was my my shelving. You know. <laughs> and I, I regularly see Disney items sell on on Ape Books, and people seem to be particularly interested in items that are signed by Walt Disney himself. Yes, for obvious reasons. I do have uh, one or two books that are signed by Walt. Ooh. Hang on to those. <laughs> I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, David, one final question, which we ask all our sure. guests, and that is what book or books are you currently reading? Um, well, right now it's uh, Fantasia's uh, 80th anniversary is coming up, and um, 80th or 90th, I don't really remember right now. I'm, I'm very bad at math, but uh, I'm doing some presentations on Fantasia, so I'm, I'm researching what I can on the history and the making of Fantasia. So I'm kind of going through through my archives here and whatever I can find in the Disney archives uh, in terms of, of preparing for that. But uh, every once in a while, I'll go back to an old classic, and I recently found uh, my copy of Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell, and I haven't read it in years and years and years, and I just started that book, and like, oh my gosh, I forgot what a fantastic story that is. Yeah. And then afterwards, I'll go and watch the movie. Of, well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should watch Wizard of Oz next. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Many thanks, David. My pleasure. Thank you again for having me. I really had a good time. Thank you. Good luck with your book collecting. Thank you very much. All right. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you all again soon. <laughs>